0: All right, well, today we start a brand new sermon series that is based on the book of Luke. Now, this is going to be a longer series than you're used to out of me. My sermon series typically run from three weeks to six weeks, occasionally eight weeks in this ADD world we live in. But this one is going to be 26 weeks. We are going to be doing this series for literally half of the year, 2000. 22. Now why? Why are we slowing down and dedicating half of the year to this one book of the Bible, Luke? So let me answer why we're going to be focusing on Luke with a verse from Hebrews. Okay, It's in Hebrews 12.2, I've mentioned this last couple of weeks in preparation for this, that this Hebrew author who's explaining to a Jewish audience what we have in Jesus, what the work of Jesus means, and then how we engage in the life of Jesus and his kingdom now. And he says in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He says, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Be somewhat obsessive about Jesus. And I've been reading that to you the last couple of weeks, but I, I haven't given you the other one that I always couple with this one. It's the one Dole read for us in chapter 3, where this same author says, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And so these these two commands are really one, right? Of all of the commands of Scripture that I have attempted to follow, I don't think I've been blessed more than by following these. And I'm serious about that. I have not been blessed more for any command I have followed in Scripture than these right here. He's saying, look at him, think about him, look at him, think about him. This is the disciple's life. There's something about it that changes us, that engages us, that puts us in relationship with Jesus, I would dare say. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author of this faith we're all pursuing. Okay, He wrote it, whatever that means. Okay, He's the perfecter of it. So if we're going to grow in this faith, that's coming from him. We fix our thoughts on Jesus because he's the apostle. That means sent one, right? He's been sent from God to us, and he's also our high priest. He represents us back to God. So we fix our thoughts on him. We fix our eyes on him. So Luke, then, is one of the four books in Scripture that record the life, ministry, and work of Jesus. So it stands to reason. If we're going to fix our eyes on him for a season, we're going to go to one of those books. Now, why Luke? Because all of those books are written from different points of view to different audiences. So why Luke? There's several reasons that I decided on Luke and proposed Luke to the leadership. And they gave it the thumbs up. But let me tell you my chief reason by letting Luke introduce his book in the first four verses of this gospel. Here's what he says. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So what Luke is saying, and we're not saying the other gospel writers are slackers, but Luke is proactively saying that he has done his homework. He got to a season. Remember, he did ministry with Paul, and he got to a season of life where he's hearing the stories. I mean, he was still a very oral community, right? The stories get passed down. But he's done his homework. He says others have set about to record what's happened. I've looked at those. The stories that have been passed down from eyewitnesses of Jesus. I've heard from them. Those that have been servants of this word, which is Jesus. Right? I've listened to them, and I've taken it all in, and I've put together, best of my ability, hopefully empowered by the Holy Spirit, we believe he was, an orderly account. He very intentionally put this gospel together. Why? Why did he do all this homework? I mean, clearly the story was already out there and spreading and being told, and others have written accounts. Why did he do it? He tells us, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. I just love Luke's heart here, and I love his work that he did on our behalf, because I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Maybe you're that outlier that this doesn't happen to But even lifelong Christians, servants of Christ, still sometimes, I do, just wake up and I'm like, man, am I sure of all this? What exactly did happen? And did it happen? And I want to be certain. And so I really appreciate Luke because he wanted that for you too. He wanted you to have Some certainty, and so my hope and prayer is that somehow, by choosing Luke, who wrote with the intention of doing that, that maybe that happens. As we study Luke, we that he put it the way he put it together. That somehow God cooperates with Luke and with us, and ultimately with Jesus, and we are moved to a more profound and certain and grateful faith in this Jesus. So when I first announced that we were going to do this a few weeks ago, I got an email from a brother, an older brother, who was really excited for all of you, for all of us, to do this in particular, the book of Luke, because of what happened to him years ago. This is probably over a decade ago this happened. And he wrote me this email about his journey, and I'm going to share it with you, because this is what I hope happens to you. And it can. It can. It can. My journey through Luke was life-changing, actually faith-changing. I was a leader in the church, and yet there was something missing. As a teenager, the question I kept asking myself was, is it really true? I had professed faith, been baptized, baptized others, gone on mission trips, you name it, I had done the church thing, the faith thing. And yet the question remained, always raising its head from time to time, indicting my profession of faith. I was drawn to Luke by his very words for writing, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. My journal, and this is when I began to journal regularly and consistently, reads, I, like Theophilus, want to know the certainty of the things I've been taught. And so I began. My journey through Luke ended, although I'm not sure it has ever or can end, Almost four years later, and I was at a different place. My faith was different, changed, transformed. What happened was not even what I attended or expected. I had hoped to somehow be convinced it was true, beyond a doubt. But what happened far exceeded my hopes. As I journeyed through Luke, something happened that I had never experienced before. Slowly but certainly, I came to know Not know the things I'd been taught, but to know the one of whom I had been taught. For the first time in my life, it seemed that I began to know Jesus, not just know about him. This realization dawned on me as I neared chapter 23. As I approached the story of the crucifixion, I began to creep through the text. My journal entry explains why. I have dreaded getting to this part of the book. I know exactly what happens here, and I wish I could just skip over it. But I can't. It's like going into a dreaded, awful place. You don't really want to go, but you must. I've spent the last couple of years reading and conversing with you and getting so much closer to you that I don't want to see this done to you. That morning was the first time in my life that as I read the story of what happened at the cross my eyes teared up for the first time it was not just a Jesus that I knew about that suffered on the cross but a Jesus whom I knew as a result of what happened during that four years in Luke my faith was no longer a faith in a book or a story or a religion or a church or a belief system my faith was now in a person i had come to know knowing him is better than all the apologetics it is the ultimate apologetic i will be praying that others have a similar experience as we as a church journey through luke and i will be praying for you as you lead us may you lead us to an encounter with the risen jesus the living christ amen it's my prayer too man how does this happen How does this happen? How, how do you read a book by an author who's writing about someone and end up in a relationship with someone that he wrote about? How does it happen? I, I don't know. I just know from this and so many testimonies and my own life that it happens. That it happens. There's something living and active about this particular story. And something changes. Now, I do know for certain how it does not happen. Don't read the book. Just don't read it. Just don't read the story. Don't try it out. Don't do what this gentleman did. And get into the book of Luke or in any of the Gospels. That's how you guarantee it doesn't happen. But we want it to happen. We want to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on him, and this is how you do it. So even taking 26 weeks, we're going to be in this for 26 weeks to walk through this long book, 24-chapter book. So basically, a chapter a week, and you may not realize this, but it's a tall order to try to get through all of that in this time. I won't be able to do it. It's just impossible to comprehensively cover everything Luke covers. Remember, this guy did it for four years, right? Right? in Luke. So to that point, I'm inviting you, and I have each week, the last few weeks, but I'm just as sincerely as I can, I want to invite you to join me in our walk with Jesus through Luke personally. And I'm just making it hopefully as easy as possible, but still powerful by promoting this book by N.T. Wright called Luke for Everyone. And it's just awesome. The text is in this book. You just pack this book when you go on a trip, whatever. You read the text and you read his analysis, his narration. This guy's smart, but he writes very intentionally for everyone in this. So we get the advantage of his scholarship, but in a way that we can read. And so I'm really pressing that on you. You can go to Amazon right now. I will not be offended and buy this book. We have some more copies in the foyer if you'd like to get one on your way out. And then if you want to take it a step further over at Small Group Central, we have a study guide that N.T. Wright uh, wrote that's awesome, that you can help you in just your individual study. You don't need more than that, but this helps. Or for your small group, if you'd like to make it social or for your family, if you'd like to do this together. Listen, you walk through, you guys with younger kids, but old enough to engage in this. You walk with Jesus for six months out of their childhood, they will never forget it. They will never forget that that family event that you did with them. So I really want to encourage you to join me in this. So my goal each week, I have to have a humble goal because it can't be comprehensive, is to try to capture for you Luke's orderly, Narrative and try to explain, why did he do this? Why did he say this here? And so I've never approached it just that way. I usually just go to Jesus' life and, and try to unpack the content. But I'm going to have Luke in mind. He did this for a reason, so I want to follow those reasons and try to approach it that way. But then each week, each week I'll have a, a little gift, I hope, for you. A what hit me. Something, some takeaway, some practical, elevated kingdom What hit me? I'll give you an example of that today. I I know God gives those to me often. I hope he will give me uh, one as I study this just for you. All right, so now that I've explained how and why we're going to go through Luke, and Luke has explained how and why he wrote it, he begins this world-changing epic story of Jesus in chapter 1. We're only doing the first half of chapter 1 with two birth announcements. That's how he starts. That's how he introduces his name. Anyone who's written a book knows that introduction is important. There's implications. You're setting things up. And it's no different here. And these are no ordinary birth announcements. We use the United States Postal Service and sometimes Facebook or other ways to do our birth announcements. This is a birth announcement where an angel from God came down to make it. Okay? And it wasn't the parents making it to others. It was God making it to the parents. So... I want to read, I won't do this every week, but for this intro, I think it's important. I want to read to you these two birth announcements and I want you to listen as I read it uh, for, because he sent this angel Gabriel. He's the only common character in these two things as Gabriel got these assignments. I want you to listen to who he sent this angel to and what he says to him and how they react. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. I'm sure that's not right pronunciation. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. They had, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn the incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be He will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them about... But remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin... Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Okay, thanks for let me just introduce Luke's book with his introduction. Let me give you a few takeaways here, because again, first impressions are important, and Luke's introduction is no different. There's several themes that, in my study of people smarter than me, say there are themes presented in this introduction that Luke intentionally puts there that might be a little invisible to some of us, because it just sounds like scripture to us, but would have been very loud to those original readers of this gospel as he sent it out. And these themes Are themes that are that are affirmed because the rest of the gospel goes on to highlight these themes. These will keep returning in the story of Jesus. All the gospel writers do this, but these are Lukes, some of Luke's. Okay? So the first one that we notice in these two announcements is the fulfillment of Scripture. Right? The fulfillment of Scripture. In other words, connection to a larger story. This isn't just a birth announcement out of nowhere and this brand new thing that's never that doesn't have any precedent, doesn't have any connection to anything's just happening. He is connecting it to Scripture. To, and this is significant because Luke is the only New Testament writer that's not a Jew. You know what a non Jew is called? Gentile. That's right, a Gentile. Whenever you hear the Bible talking about Gentiles, most of us are Gentiles, right? And so Luke is the only author in the New Testament that's a Gentile. He wrote his gospel as a Gentile for Gentiles. So this is significant. He doesn't, he doesn't connect to the Old Testament, say, as much as Matthew, who's a Jew writing to Jews, right? He's, he doesn't do that. So that he does any of that is important. That he does any of that. He is letting his Gentile audience know we're entering into an ongoing story of God. It's about a bigger story that's been going on, aware or unaware, it's been going on for a long time, and it's continuing, and you get to play a role. And so that's one of the themes we see here when he says Joseph was a descendant of David, right? When he says John's going to be in the manner of Elijah. The Jews were waiting for these kind of code words to let them know the time that they were waiting is coming. So we see that here. A second one, and these first two are theological. The, the last two are kind of social, um, the next one is the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you: Do you even remember the role of the Holy Spirit in what I just read? Maybe, maybe now, maybe now you're going, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah." Or maybe you're like, "No, I'd have to go back and look." See, there's two opposite and equal mistakes that churches make in regards to the Holy Spirit. It, all churches probably lean one of these two ways, and I mean, we err, right? It just happens. Some take the Holy Spirit and make him the center of our faith. Like everything is about the Holy Spirit. Proof that you're a Christian is about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the center of the story and the central role in what the church is doing now. Center, okay? Even the Holy Spirit would be against that. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus, okay? The second flaw that a lot of churches make on the other side is we minimize, sometimes even erase the role of the Holy Spirit in our faith. We don't think of him at all. So Luke seems more than the other gospels to insert the Holy Spirit into the story, explaining his role, noting his role. If the Holy Spirit is behind this, the Holy Spirit's probably doing that, letting us know he is a very important part of this story, and therefore of our faith, Luke always includes the importance of the Holy Spirit without making the whole story about the Holy Spirit. And so, you'll see that. And I just want you to be aware as you read and as we go through this. So, those two are theological. The second two are, are social, right? So, the first you're going to see in Luke the priority of and the value for the poor, for the poor and the oppressed. Luke, It's in all Gospels because Jesus' ministry valued the poor and oppressed. Luke, turn up the volume, more so, more so. It's there. Now, here's where it is. You're like, where was that in the announcements? Well, in the Greek, remember Luke's a Gentile. Sometimes Gentile and Greek are used synonymously, uh, just sometimes. He was Greek from Macedonia, I think. Greek stories often had started with these kind of what's called an annunciation where some divine Greek god sends a messenger to someone. But that someone in all other Greek literature is always someone important. It's a king, or a queen, or a prince, or some powerful hero, you know, in in militarily or something. It's someone like that. That's who it is. So it would have stood out to these Greek listeners, huge, that this angel is sent and in the Annunciation to... This old couple from a little nondescript little tribe that is maybe worshiping and serving in a temple of a dead religion that doesn't have a lot of importance in Greece. You know? That, that's barren, in fact. And socially, they've looked, they're looked down upon because they don't have any kids. That was a big social faux pas, is not having kids. Was, you just got looked down on if you didn't have kids. It was, it was shame you heard in Scripture. Elizabeth says, he's taken my shame away when she got pregnant. And so... There's that, and then the other one is like this: this young teenager who's a virgin, who's betrothed to the the, the son of Herod. No, nope, to a little carpenter, some some little carpenter guy. You know, that's who she's. That would have stood out. But even if that wasn't there in his introduction, you're going to see it in how he quotes Jesus, what he shows Jesus, emphasizing Jesus prioritizes the poor, the oppressed. The marginalized. The weak. Socially. On the earth. And so that's a social thing we'll notice. And then the second. This last one is like it. But is it part of that. Because of their role. But that you also see in Luke. The elevation of women. So I, I, it's, I put that out there. Um, specifically. Because every commentator does. Says that Luke. Elevates women. Now women would have fallen in the marginalized category back then. I mean, it was not... In Palestine, the place of women was low. Matter of fact, Barclay said that there's this prayer. I think it's Barclay that said there's this prayer that, that uh, Jews prayed, thanking God that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. They would pray that prayer. Right? I mean, that, that's the stratosphere that the Jews in their uh, view put them. And so the typical happenings... And Now, there's the Jewish low view of women, which might have been slightly higher than the Greek view of women. All right? The cultural view of women was low. So, all the writings would have presumed and reflected that in unsurprising ways because we're invisible to the things that are normal in our culture. We don't see them, but they're just there. So, it would have been very visible as Luke highlights women in their roles, in surprising and notable details, giving them notoriety, value, and worth that in that culture, Jewish and Greek, they don't have. So it's invisible to us from where we stand because we've progressed in this so much as a society and as a spiritual group, okay? But he puts that in there. So for example, while the presumption in the introduction of this book, you would imagine because of the predominance of men, even in the faith, that Zechariah and Joseph would be the ones lifted up as the recipients of these messages, and they would have the proper response, right? If somebody's going to mess up in their response, it's going to be the women in the story, you know, because, you know, they're just not, they don't get it as much, right? It's the men that are always highlighted. And so that is not what happens here. Zechariah does get the word from the angel, but as devout as he was, his response, Luke notes, like the highlight of the story, is he responded in disbelief. He responded in disbelief. Okay, he's the one that did that. Mary didn't, and even Elizabeth, when her first the first report we have of her reaction to this is the Lord has done this for me. Zechariah, we know he asked a question in a negative way because the angel said so. And he was disciplined for it. Okay, So the man is the one that didn't get it right in that couple. And then you can't help, as an author, you know he's comparing these two. You can see so many similarities in these birth announcements. You're supposed to note the differences. Mary did not. She asked a question, but we have to presume because she didn't get the correction of the angle. It's just fact-finding. It's just a fact-finding question because she, her real response is at the end when it says, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. So, I wish I could just flip through the book of Luke with you and highlight all of the ways women are uniquely and surprisingly elevated uh, in stark contrast to the assumptions of the culture and the spiritual age. But we will do that as we go through. So, let's get started. Let's walk through this book with Jesus. And again, I hope you really will take seriously this call to join me in it personally. I do think. You can have an experience of getting to know not just about Jesus, but know Jesus when you cooperate with God's Holy Spirit in walking with him. And I think the book of Luke's going to be a blessing. So this is that last thing that Mary said, I am your servant. May it be me as you have said is kind of the what hit me takeaway here. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room if you need just a touch today in any way or a prayer or you want to know how to follow this Jesus that we're now going to follow through the book book of Luke, these guys and and ladies will walk with you right through that. So what hit me, here's my what hit me takeaway. It comes in the form of a question. When God interrupts you, just evaluate it. When God interrupts you, what's your initial response? Is it more like Zechariah? Maybe disbelief, resistance, you know, maybe we take it farther than that dismissal. You know, that's it, probably not God. Do you even remember the last time you were interrupted by God? Like, are you, are you paying attention? What's your reaction? Is it more like Zechariah or is it more like Mary? Kind of an eager, let it be to me, as you have said, I am your servant. Do you push back? When he calls you to something, whether it's some epic piece of news that's going to involve an adjustment in your life, or it's some specific interruption to your day that you just feel that inclination, I'm supposed to do that maybe, Ah, I don't have time, you know, or it's some sin that you're being confronted in that you know, some bad habit, something you shouldn't be participating in that he wants you to dismiss for your life, or some discipline that would increase your your relationship with him that he wants you to introduce to your life like maybe reading through the book of Luke for six months what's your reaction what's your is it more like Zechariah yeah what happened to that guy that wrote that letter that's not going to happen to me you know or or is it more like Mary hey look I'm your servant may it be as you have said I know this hit me because my prayers I, I've been a Christian a long time I've been ministering as a minister of Christ for a long time. And still, most of my prayers, this confronted me. Most of my prayers are some version of, Lord, let it be as I have said. Most of my prayers, I'm I'm asking for him to conform my life to my request. Still, to this day, what hit me is, I need to take on this posture. I'm your servant. May it be to me as you have said. It's harder. Sorry, because you've got to be listening to say that. You have to listen to what he's saying to say that. So that's that's the call. I want God's will. Now, here's the deal. In that story, God's will happened for both of them either way. I mean, God's going to get done what he needs to get done. It's just Mary got to enjoy it a little more and didn't have to suffer as much as he got it done. I want to line up that way. And it struck me that Zechariah's news, to just really elevate this woman, Zechariah's news took social shame away. Mary's news, virgin, she got to go talk to her husband. She got to talk to her parents. I'm pregnant. uh, Let me tell you the story. Socially put her in a horrible spot, and yet she was the one receptive. That's how I want to be. I want to be like her. I want you to be like her. We're going to have to help each other. But let's walk with Jesus together conforming to his life and to his ways. Let's stand and let's sing to this great God as we meditate on Christ this year.